We are a resource for learners, including every member of the Livestrong Cancer Institute's on-track educational pipeline from middle school to residency. We are a growing collection of interviews, talks, and experiences that uncover the myths and the uncertainties of cancer and careers in cancer in order to empower and inspire generations of thinkers and leaders. This is Cancer Uncovered, an education and empowerment podcast by the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. Welcome back to Cancer Uncovered. We're here to empower you to pursue a career in healthcare and cancer by giving you a front row seat into the work we're doing here at the Livestrong Cancer Institutes, an emerging cancer center at the University of Texas at Austin's Dell Medical School. A major component of our mission at LCI to revolutionize cancer treatment happens through cancer research. LCI conducts clinical research testing new cancer treatments with patients and lab research in our developmental therapeutics lab on the UT Austin campus at Dell Medical School and with other partnering labs and departments at UT, creating new cancer treatments and ways to care for patients in various areas, including pancreatic cancer, colon cancer, breast cancer, blood cancers, and more. Cancer research takes passion, creativity, critical thinking, but also patience and resilience. Anyone who knows what the research process is like knows that there are inevitable failures along the way. Research, by definition, is a certain percentage of failure. And, you know, basic or fundamental research in the lab, preclinical, is like 99% failure. You live your life hoping for that 1%, which drives you. That is Jennifer McKinney, who is part of our research team at the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. I'm completely aware that this episode is called a pep talk. Hold tight. It gets better. It shouldn't be that easy because we're trying to find answers to things that are unknown. And then you have to validate them. And so it can be very frustrating so that I learned back in my PhD that you, you know, you have to sort of get used to this failure mentality and learning how to turn things around and think of a different way. You know, that experiment didn't show what I thought it would. Let me try to think of another way to do this. How do I go about finding that? Well, let me research what other people have done and see if that would work. You also put in a lot of work to submit grants for funding and fellowships for funding, a lot of times those don't get awarded. And that can be also very frustrating. But each grant and each fellowship you write and put forward just, you know, strengthens your skills. And then you also try to publish papers. And a lot of times those publications don't get accepted. And so it's a lot of wading through to get to your successes. They don't come easily. Since I was hired early on and I was asked to do a lot of these things that I didn't have a direct mentor, I didn't have a lot of people to look up to as far as how exactly do I do this. So I had to come up with a lot of things and just give them a try and and see, you know, does it work? But I think the resilience that I learned when I was getting my doctorate allowed me to be brave and try things knowing that, well, the worst that can happen is it doesn't work. And I try something else, you know, rather than 
getting hung up on, well, I, I don't want to do it unless it's perfect. And I know it's going to work. That never happens. I mean, it just doesn't. <laughs> I think um, if that does happen, it's very rare and very lucky and, and not likely to come around, which is okay. But every time you fail, you learn something new and, and you build on that. And that that's really where you come out with these great products because they have been tried and failed and they have been tried and failed and tried and failed until they succeed. So you know the product that you have has been put through the ringer and it's very likely to be successful now that you have had all of these failures. Jennifer is the Translational Research Manager at LCI, here to give us an inside look at her work in cancer research. If you don't have any idea what a Translational Research Manager is, you're not alone. And actually, the whole idea of translational research is fairly new, especially to the cancer world, but just to the science world in general. It was hard in the beginning because most people don't know what a translational research manager is or does. You know, you know, oncologists come in, you know what they do. They see patients, they treat patients, they have a very important job. You know, researchers, they come in, they do research, you see them in a lab coat. You know the nurses and the coordinators and everything you come in, you know what they do. Hopefully through the different things that I've done and dealing with, I mean, I deal with almost everybody at LCI at one point or another. And so hopefully they can start to see like, oh yeah, okay, now I understand what she does. (laughs) Before we jump into Jennifer's work specifically, she took a few minutes to give us a baseline and explain the different types of research and how translational research fits into our work at LCI. These three aspects of of research that we talk about often, clinical research, the other is bench research or what a lot of people throw out this term to call basic research, which I don't like that term. I actually like to use the word fundamental because I don't think that there's anything basic about it or the people that do it, but that's just sort of the universal, universally accepted language. So we'll call it basic fundamental research. And then there's translational research. And so I'll talk a little bit about the difference between translational research and bench research or or basic fundamental research. The way that I describe them to people or the way that I think about it is that basic and fundamental research is sort of a bottom-up model where you have a very interesting question and you pose a hypothesis and you sort of develop experiments, and you see where the science takes you. So you you can go in one direction, you can go another direction, a million different directions, and you can have all these different additional questions jump out from those results. And you kind of just go where the science takes you, you know, the most interesting path, the most economical path, the most impactful path, and you sort of go with it. That, that work is so fundamental, and that's why I use the word fundamental, because that work has to be done in order for clinical research to happen. So there's a, a ton of basic, fundamental, preclinical research that happens before a phase one clinical trial is allowed to happen. Translational research, I think of as more of a top-to-bottom model, where you have more of a focus on your research. You know the problem that you're trying to solve. And so you're just trying to solve that problem. So you're not really worried about where the science takes you. You're very focused. And that focus is doing research that is then going to 
impact and translate into the clinic. And the reason why that's important is because basic and fundamental research is great. I mean, it's very important. One of the drawbacks of it is that you can find out something very interesting scientifically and you publish it and you may hope that someday down the road, somebody reads it and thinks, oh, well, we can, we can use that and we can make a difference in the clinic in this way. And then they take that research to another level and then it will impact the clinic. What clinical research does is they already know the impact that they want. Usually they're building off of basic and fundamental research that's already been done. The clinical trials, for example. But translational research takes basic and fundamental research and says, let's just focus it a little bit more. Let's connect you with people so that once you've done your part of it, we can directly funnel it into getting closer to having an impact in the clinic. Can you hear Gwen eating? Okay. Sometimes she's loud. (laughs) Jen is also mom to new baby Gwen, who makes several tiny cameos, a definite episode bonus. Work that I do at LCI is really cool because I get to have my hand in a lot of different aspects that are related to cancer. So sometimes I get to be involved with patients and patient education around what it means to be involved in research. Sometimes I'm involved in participating with planning the actual research that we want to do. Sometimes I'm involved in writing up the research that we've already done so that we can publish it. And then other times I'm involved in educating students or really just sort of bringing together different members of our community who are interested in cancer research. So that could be clinicians who want to do research but don't have the means to do it or some of our really great researchers at the University of Texas who want to do clinical research but don't have the means to do that. So a lot of times I'm sort of connecting those two groups and figuring out how we can really get the projects done that they want to do. The job that I have right now is awesome because I get to work one-on-one with patients, but I also get to be really involved in the critical thinking and the problem solving and that creative part of trying to bridge the research with the clinic and make it more impactful. And when I was hired by Dr. Gail Eckhart, she said, I have this position. She came up with this. This is her vision, 100%. She said, I have this position. And she wanted somebody who could come in and really be sort of a liaison between LCI and the community, the patients, researchers, the clinicians, all of it. So day one, I started on my very first day and she had a list of things she wanted me to do, my goals. One of them was to learn every single person on UT main campus who was doing cancer research and what they were doing and reach out to them and talk to them and meet with them and see if they what they needed, how we could engage with them, how we could best work with them, how we could support them. And that was really cool because I started to learn that what Gail knew that I don't know that everyone else knew (laughs) was that people weren't aware of each other and aware of the research that was going on on main campus and who all was doing this great cancer research because it wasn't just like in the Department of Biology or Molecular and Biomedical Engineering. There was 
chemistry, there was physics, there was sociology. There's all of these departments across campus that are interested in in various aspects of cancer research, be it theoretical or practical, and they didn't know about each other. So when we came, and I think Gail knew this, she needed somebody to start the ball rolling, right? And then we developed the membership, and now we have the cancer center, and we have all of these groups, and we're bringing everyone together, and we do the retreats. And so from very early on, she knew exactly what she was doing. Since the last year, we've hired more and more clinical research team members who have a lot of experience in that world. And now we're sort of melding together with them so that the work that I do complements, you know, what they do. And so that that's really cool because I, I've been there from the very beginning. I think I was the fifth person hired. And I've been able to see this grow and see her vision come to fruition. And it's been quite a ride. When she, you know, she told me, I think it's really important to have someone who can speak to a lot of different people and sort of translate, right? And so that's what I do. I go into meetings and the clinicians are there and the researchers are there and they don't speak the same language oftentimes. And so my job is to sit there and sort of translate a little bit and give a level of understanding to each group because perspective is everything. And if we can have out a lot of that stuff in that very first meeting, we can save a ton of time and headache. I asked Jen how she got here. What ultimately led her to pursue research? One of the reasons that I was drawn into research specifically, because I think a lot of people decide that they want to go in to help people through a clinical aspect, you know, be it nursing or as a doctor. And I, I had a clinical experience because I did want to work. I did want to become a physician. And so I worked when I was going to get my undergraduate degree, I worked in a clinical laboratory and an emergency room for my job. And it was great because I got to learn how to deal with patients, especially very sick patients um, who are coming, you know, into the emergency room. And I really enjoyed being able to work face to face with patients. But one thing that really turned me off of that clinical direction was how frustrating it was that we didn't have better ways to do things for patients. And a lot of the things that we did were just sort of patch them up and send them on their way. And although emergency care is very different from cancer care, it really pushed me into research because I felt like that for me, that was the way that I was going to be able to make the best and biggest difference for people was to be able to step back and try to utilize my talents in, in, in ways that would I think better serve me and other people in that I was more apt to the research side, critical thinking, um, you know, problem solving, all of that. And so I really wanted to try my hand at trying to come up with better ways to do things than just the status quo. And so I went and got my master's degree and I got my PhD, both in cancer research. And I loved it and it was very challenging. It was very rewarding but I also did miss working one-on-one with patients. And so 
the job that I have right now is awesome because I get to work one-on-one with patients, but I also get to be really involved in the critical thinking and the problem solving and that creative part of trying to bridge the research with the clinic and make it more impactful. So I feel very lucky to have this position. I have had the pleasure of working with Jen on various projects throughout my time at LCI, and getting to know her, I have loved hearing from her as a working parent and spouse. So I was sure to ask her about her thoughts on personal balance between career and everything else. I actually had my daughter, my eldest daughter, while I was in graduate school. After she was born, I took a semester off to stay with her. And then I went back and I think it actually made me better because I had a very important reason to go home to at the end of the day. So a lot of graduate students were younger than me. They didn't have families. They weren't married and they could just hang out in the lab and they could do, you know, whatever they wanted. So they would be there all day, every day, but they, they weren't necessarily more productive than I was. I I definitely had become very organized. I had a list every single day of what I needed to do that day, what I needed to do that week, what I needed to do that month. I would go in, I would do my work and I would leave. And, um, I would go in on the weekends. I would work on holidays. I never took vacation. (laughs) And, and so when I got done with that part of my life, it was very hard for me to trans transfer into a job that expected you to have a home life and to take vacation and to not work on the weekends and to not work on the holidays. That was difficult for me. I had to, I had to learn sort of later in life that part of it. There's no one recipe on how to do it right. It it really depends on what works for you and your family, what your priorities are. But I will say it definitely takes a lot of communication and support within your family and at your job. So I have made it very clear at work that my family is a priority. I have also made it clear at home that my job is a priority. If you aren't passive about it, but you tell people up front, like, this is what my priorities are. I'm going to, you know, this is when I will do this. This is when I will do this. With some amount of flexibility, as we all need to have, I think having a quote-unquote work-life balance basically just means you feel fulfilled in various aspects of your life. So you're not running this guilt marathon every day thinking that you're not doing enough anywhere. I mean, that that is not good for anybody. So you have to find a balance that allows you to say, I'm satisfied with what I did today. I'm satisfied with the work that I did. I'm satisfied with the time that I spent my, with my family. And if you're not, then you have to change something. I asked Jen what she would say to someone that might be on the fence about pursuing cancer as a career. If this episode hasn't been enough of a personal pep talk for you so far, then hold on. Jen, as usual, brings it strong. I would say we need you. If you have any interest in cancer or oncology or research, get into it and sooner rather than later, but even later is great. (laughs) So 
um, you know, any interest in that is great because we need you. I mean, we, cancer is a bull. It's, it is a horrible disease that we are really just starting to learn the intricacies of, and we need bright, young, creative, brilliant minds, you know, just ready to go and ready to help us try to fight this battle. I mean, you know, behind heart disease, cancer is still the number two cause of death in the U.S., killing, I don't know, 500,000 people a year or something crazy like that. So um, we have made great strides in the past, um, I would say, 20 years, mostly with pediatric cancer, some with adult cancer and geriatric cancer, but there's a lot that we don't know. And there's a lot of work that we have ahead of us. And so we need everyone that we can to jump in with us. And I would say some people might think they don't want to work with patients who have cancer because it's too sad. And that is a very genuine reaction. It is very sad and it can be sad. It can be rewarding. I would say to those people, there are so many ways to get involved in cancer research or oncology that don't involve patients or don't involve medicine or don't, you know, I mean, there are so many ways that you can contribute to cancer research and to this fight and to this battle. I mean, you can be an administrator at a department and you can do a lot of things for people. You can run support groups. You can be a, a writer. You can be a coordinator. You can be a financial officer at a, a cancer research establishment. And so there's so many ways that you can get involved that don't necessarily mean that you're going to be face-to-face with a pa- watching a patient die or suffer, which is very hard. And the people that do that deserve you know, all the credit in the world. Um, But there are other ways that you can get involved. And if you do think that you want to be there to help patients, I mean, all, all the better, you know, I mean, I would just encourage that. Yes. If you have any interest, great. Let's help you. Let's motivate you. You know, like we, we can help you decide which avenue you would want to, to participate in. If you have questions for Jennifer McKinney, Translational Research Manager at the Livestrong Cancer Institutes, or if you have other cancer questions that we can uncover, please email us at livestrongcancerinstitutes at delmed.utexas.edu. Please make sure institutes is plural. And while we're on the subject of cancer experts giving pep talks, if you miss Nick's voice from previous episodes, we're excited to share with you that the Associate Director of Administration and Strategic Planning, Nick Smith-Stanley, will deliver the closing keynote address at the Association of Community Cancer Centers National Conference, taking place from September 14th to September 18th, all online. Nick will discuss the disparity of women in oncology and the strategies that the LCI has used to address the issue. Nick's keynote will take place on September 18th at 1130 a.m. Eastern Time. For more information, please visit accc-cancer.org, and that address will also be in our show notes. For more information about the UT Health Austin Livestrong Cancer Institute's clinic, visit uthealthaustin.org. 
To find out more about the Livestrong Cancer Institutes, check out delmed.utexas.edu. You can follow Gail, our chair, on Twitter at sgaileckhart. Eckhart is spelled E-C-K-H-A-R-D-T. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. I am Kristen Wynn, and this is Cancer Uncovered. Thank you for listening.